Good afternoon from Eagle Financial. It's a rainy Friday. Good week for the markets this week. The S&P 500 closed up about one and a third percent this week, up about four tenths of a percent today, uh, flirting with all-time highs. That brings the S&P 500 up on a total return basis to about 22.4% at the close today. On a total return basis, that is an all-time high. Uh, all of the major market indices were up today. The bond market sold off today uh, with the two-year Treasury note yield uh, closing at 1.66% and the 10-year uh, approaching 1.8%. So the bond market sold off for the week. Uh, most of this is, a, is about the view that uh, corporate profits are expanding. Uh, we had 125 companies or 25% of the blue chip companies in the S&P 500 report this week. Uh, not all of them were terrific, but generally they were good and made the markets move higher. But we are, uh, there's a high probability of a Fed rate cut with the Fed funds rate at the end of this month. So with that, you know, we're also seeing commodity prices moving higher with this weak dollar policy. So we had, uh, we did have uh, West Texas Intermediate close up to 56.68. That's up 44%, about uh, three-fourths of a percent today. Gold was up $3 at $15.07 an ounce. Silver was the big mover today. It was up over 3% this morning, still closing over $18 an ounce, up 25 cents per ounce, or about a 1.5% move. Um, well, Bill, you know, last week we did a kind of a dog and pony show with the, uh, we talked about market the market, uh, efficient market hypothesis, Drs. Harry Markowitz and William Sharp. And uh, one of the last things we discussed was a 60-40 portfolio. We were reading today, uh, you sent me an email about how, um, actually it was sent from someone else, how 60-40 is dead. 60-40 is dead because, because bond yields, the 40% of your of your portfolio being in uh, bonds yielding less than 2% carries risk and is not so attractive. So one of the things we pointed out last week was that we could go, we could make a portfolio more efficient by going from 60-40, that's 60% stocks, 40% bonds, to, I might add, I erroneously said 40-20-20, um, uh, which only adds up to 80%. We should have said 50% in stocks, 30% in bonds, and maybe 20% in alternatives, which could actually increase return and reduce risk, you know, at the same time. So, you know, we've discussed ETFs in the past or exchange-traded funds, which are so prevalent today. But this week we wanted to uh, talk mostly about uh, a little understood investment vehicle that doesn't get a lot of attention. It does here at Eagle Financial, though, and these are called CEFs or closed-end funds. So what, what do you have to make of this, Bill? Yeah, I mean, closed-end funds, uh, closed-end funds have been around a long time. They actually go back to 1893 
with the Scottish American Investment Company. Um, this was the first closed-in fund structure, and it was created to invest in U.S. railroad companies. And then in the 1920s, we started to see closed-in funds take shape here in the U.S. In fact, there are three closed-in funds in existence today that have been around since the 1920s. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, the, and I'll tell you those three. They're General American Investors, Tri-Continental Corporation, and Adams Diversified Equity. So these are mutual funds that have been around since the 1920s. And these predate the explosion and open-end mutual funds um, that uh, really came about after the 1940 Act. Um, you know, the reason why closed-end funds are, are not as popular as their cousins, the open-end mutual funds, well, there's a number of reasons, but I'd say one of them is that they're not very well understood. Um, these are investment vehicles that trade throughout the day, like common stock and exchange-traded funds, I should add. Um, but because there's a finite number of shares available, these things come out at IPO, initial public offering, uh, and they trade during the day. These things can trade at premiums or discounts. And so that's one thing that people need to be aware of. And also, many of these funds can use leverage to enhance the income or the total return. And so that's just another feature that potential investors have to take account of when they're looking at these things. There's another reason, and that is that once these things come out through the IPO, there's generally very little research available on these vehicles. So it's not like common stock or open-end mutual funds where you can go to Morningstar.com or other sources and get research. So they're, they're not very well covered. Um, they, they make up a fraction of the investable universe in this country. and Less than 1%. Less than 1%. Yeah. But for all of these reasons, you know, the fact that they're not well understood, um, most people have never even heard of these things, um, and the fact that they can trade at discounts to the net asset value means there's opportunities. Now, how many of these are in existence? There's so, probably 600, 650 around yeah. there. Um, and there's also a lot of activism going on in the space. So you do have um, activists who are trying to put pressure on fund companies to uh, buy back shares or do other corporate actions to try to narrow discounts when we have wide discounts to the net asset value of these structures. But we look for opportunities here. And, you know, one of the things that, that you know, we're looking for when we evaluate closed-in funds is, you know, we understand that these are often used for income. And kind of going back to what you were saying earlier, Jack, about the 60-40 portfolio and limitations to that asset allocation, the problem with a 60-40 portfolio right now, it's not that it's broken, it's not that it's dead. I mean, those are, those are terms that are used in the media a lot. But the problem is that with bond yields so low that if we have some kind of hiccup, we're not going to get the diversification benefit that we would otherwise have in bonds. So it means that stocks and bonds are more positively correlated than they would otherwise be because the yields are so low. And closed-end funds 
you know, yeah. can help because they do throw off a lot of in income in the form of distributions. Uh, many of these pay distributions quarterly, monthly, and so for an income investor, a closed-end fund vehicle may be the right place. Yeah, let's go back. In, uh, in 2008, we were studying some that were getting really whacked. Mm -hmm. There were these funds called the RMK funds, managed by a gentleman named Jim Kelso. And they were uh, supposed to be invested in, uh, some of them in investment grade, uh, mostly corporates and mortgages, and others in lower quality or what we call high yield or junk bonds. But Mr. Kelso uh, purchased mostly uh, misunderstood, very low quality subprime bonds. And then we had the subprime crisis. And uh, they had three closed-end funds that IPO'd at $15 a share. Uh, they came out in 2006, 2007, very quickly uh, went up to about 18 bucks a share. Mm -hmm. And then when the subprime crisis came and some of these securities started failing, even though they had quite a few of these in the portfolio, they all turned out to be garbage. And these funds fell to, uh, you didn't know I speak, spoke <laughs> no, French, right? That's, that's so impressive. these things fell all the way to, uh, one of them went to under a dollar a share from 18. I think I recall 47 cents a share. So Bill and I, Bill and I looked at these. We understood that they had been acquired by Brookfield Asset Management. Brookfield Asset Management got rid of all of the subprime and replaced it with corporates, and we bought these things at a 40% discount to what the underlying assets were worth, and we, we made a big bet on these things, and over a 15-month period of time, uh, we made three and a half times our money. We initially, when we bought these things at a dollar or less, they were yielding over 20% monthly compounding, again, 40% discount to what the actual assets were worth. Today, that would bring about uh, this activism that you talked yes. about, Bill. So we made three and a half times our money, and unfortunately, we got out. Had we stayed in a couple of more years, we would have made five or six times our money. But we, we, um, we actually, if you own over 5% of a security, you have to file with the SEC. And we got up to as much as 8% of these three different funds. And we're glad that we did. It was one of the most successful things that we ever did. And we're looking for the next one. We sure are. And, and now that brings up another point. And for any of you who might consider investing in closed-end funds, um, be careful, okay? This, this is an area where you really need to do your homework. The problem with RMK funds, RMK is an acronym standing for Regions Morgan Keegan. Uh, Regions Bank, uh, large bank, um, had a broker-dealer subsidiary called Morgan Keegan. Uh, Morgan Keegan is no longer around. It was acquired by Raymond James. Um, these they were sued, excuse me. They were. They had to write checks for over a billion dollars yes, for were. the RMK funds. Yeah. The, these closed-in funds, okay, they came out at initial public offering and the Morgan Keegan brokers were incentivized 
to get their clients into these funds at the IPO. Now, it's really, as a general rule, it's not a good idea to buy a closed-end fund at the IPO. And the reason for that is because you have all of these fees uh, going to the investment bank who's underwriting the initial public offering, uh, legal fees and other related fees. You may be looking at 5% in fees. So for the Correct. investor who is told or recommended by their broker to buy this closed-end fund at the IPO, they're paying a premium to get into this strategy. It's Correct. a new strategy, right? And all of the assets are going are, are being invested at once, so there's no track record. And once the IPO is done, the net asset value is going to drop five percent. It's when the right when away. the brokerage firm stops, the syndicate department stops supporting the shares, um, and people, you know. You start having some sell volume, they're That's immediately right. going to gravitate right to uh, the net asset value, which, as you stated, could be five, six, or seven percent below what the thing came out. I recall in the early 90s, um, John Nuveen and Company used to put out a lot of these, uh, IPO'd quite a few in the municipal bond space and they would lever them and they would put, you know, 6% commissions on them and uh, 90 days or so after every one of these came out, uh, they would gravitate right to, you know, the NAV. That's right. So, so we're, we're looking for closed-in funds in the secondary market that are, you know, trading uh, on the exchange uh, post-IPO and as we stated, we're looking for deeply discounted closed-in funds. Uh, Jack mentioned leverage. Um, the, the way this works, leverage is a tool, and a closed-end fund, uh, let's say it's a closed-end fund that's investing in a bond portfolio. To enhance the income distribution that the fund pays, that fund could issue short-term debt, use the proceeds from the short-term debt, and buy more bonds for the portfolio inside of the fund. And so that means that there's more income because there's more assets in the fund. And so long as the, the income generated by the additional bonds is greater than the interest that they pay on their short-term borrowings, that's a good strategy. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the things I might throw out there, Bill, is uh, just what exactly are we doing in this space you know, today? And uh, I spent every day this week, actually, uh, there's a natural resource fund that we liked, we've liked for a few years, which we've traded. Uh, we got into these shares at an 8 or 9% discount on average, and those shares today uh, actually closed at a premium to the underlying net asset value, and they've made over 25% this year. So today, I was trading out of that. Commission-free, now that Schwab has commission-free trading. It was only $4.95 last month and before. But uh, And going into another one that uh, was selling at a 12% discount to NAV yesterday. So, and I will, I'll give you a clue or a hint. Um, we're finding some of these in the natural resource space. Uh, that's one of the areas that we like right now with weak dollar policies. Even another hint, you know, midstream energy. 
And uh, so that's one of the things that we've been doing in the closed infant space. Another area is, is health care with uh, the Democrats right now having all these debates and so forth and campaigning. They're talking about Medicare for all. They've, they've made some health care names go out of favor, mm -hmm. and it's made people in the closed-end fund space, you know, sell um, uh, some of these shares and drive them to discounts. So this is an area, I might throw this out there. If you, if you have any questions about that or you'd like some advice or help, you know, give us a call or, or write in. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll add this one last thing about, because we're talking about net asset value and discounts to the net asset value. Simply what that means, if you take a portfolio of securities and you add up the combined market value of all of those securities, that's your net asset value. Now that same pool of, of securities, if you own that inside of an open-end mutual fund, you will not be buying it at a discount. You'll be buying it for net asset value. They always, that's the difference, as you mentioned earlier. An open-end mutual fund, what we call mutual funds, you know, you could really say closed-end funds and open-end funds. Open-end funds, i.e. mutual funds, always trade at the NAV. That's correct. You always get, so the closed-end fund space is really attractive to us, but as Bill said, you have to be careful. We know of some closed-end funds right now, utility funds and even bond funds that are trading at 50% premiums to net asset value, which uh, we would never in a million no. years no. buy these. We want to buy them cheap to what the assets are actually worth and trade them when they're worth more than what the underlying assets and are the, And the reason why these funds trade at discounts or premiums has everything to do with supply and demand. So like in the case of the RMK funds that blew up, no one wanted those, okay? So the environment changed. No one wanted to touch these securities. They were deemed toxic, even though the portfolio had already been turned over and they got it back to the original investment strategy the damage had already been done, and so there was way more supply than demand, and so that pushed that discount down uh, to, to the deep levels where we bought those. But anyway, um, so as we said, you know, this is a niche area, and we like looking for niche type things, and so we'll leave, leave you with that. Yes, and uh, another... Uh niche type things. You made me think about the World Series and the Nationals have uh, gone back home for game three tonight at Nationals Park and they're, uh, I've learned their theme song. My grandson Harrison Jack sings it all the time, uh, Baby Shark. Can you sing that for us? Uh, no, but I think Stacy can. Let us, <laughs> let us know how that goes. Do you care to chime that in? Baby shark. Wow. So, um, okay. And uh, who's LSU got tomorrow at two uh, thirty? I'm sorry. I'm still thinking about baby shark. Uh, LSU is playing Auburn uh, at two thirty Central tomorrow in Baton Rouge. It should be one heck of a game. Go Tigers. Seven and one LSU against six and one Auburn. I think the line's about ten points. This is going to be a 
tough game as uh, hopefully the Tigers aren't thinking ahead to the undefeated uh, Alabama team. And, uh, and we also have the Saints playing Sunday at noon against a visiting uh, Cardinals team, Go Saints. I think that's a wrap for this Friday. We'll see you next time unless you have any questions for us. Peace out.